good morning, everybody. So glad that you are here today. This is obviously a very, very special Sunday, and we're glad that you have chosen to be here and worship with us on this special Resurrection Sunday. So the last thing he said was, may God give us eyes. And that's what we hope this morning as we take a look at the four Gospels and what actually happened on that Resurrection Sunday. We want to look at that. But before I start today, I want to, I want to share a couple of things that, that have become very special here at Southwest as we um, have moved in here at 3836 Highway 29, especially for Resurrection Sunday. We started last year with what we call the Lent Crosses. And uh, Vaughn and Michelle uh, Nian helped got this vision started. And for the last two years, we have come together and assembled these crosses with the help of people. Specifically, Don Heath really helped with that and others who cut the fabric. But how many of y'all had crosses in your yard this year? Put your hands up. Look at that. Okay. And uh, it's, it's been uh, something we've done for the last two years, and I want to thank y'all for having that vision and doing that. So it's really great. Let me tell you a funny story. I see Gail over there. Gail, you can wave your hand. I know you're going, oh, don't embarrass me, Craig. Easter Sunday. Um, but I know you and Allison had a, a man and his son, or is it his grandson, came to your house, son came to your house and asked specifically, what is that cross and what do us mean? And so Gail had the opportunity to share about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection because of that cross. And that's, that's great, great to know that. So, so thanks for sharing that. Now, let me tell you a funny story about me trying to put the white cloth on my cross this morning. Okay, so um, some kids in my household who will remain nameless put the black on the cross on Friday. And so as I started to put the white on the cross this morning, the cross member fell off. So I'm going, uh-oh. So I have to go back to the house and get a screw and a screw gun to put the cross member on and to put the white on. And so I'm getting agitated, you know, like, uh, you know, he is risen, he is risen indeed. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, what is wrong with you, you know? But uh, I had, I, you know, I had to, I couldn't just leave it all apart there. But anyway, so I got the white cross on it and hopefully nobody saw me in my uh, disgruntlement as I was putting the white cloth on the cross this morning. Um, the other thing I want to, that's become very special to us is this tomb this morning. And uh, we had a couple of guys, Blake Helms and uh, Fred Stavely, who put this together themselves a few years ago. And they did a wonderful job. And every year we put it on the stage and it helps us to have a visual to think about Jesus coming out of that tomb. So I'm very uh, thankful for those guys. And, and these things I mentioned, like the crosses and, and putting them in your yards and having the vision, they may seem like small things, but they're tangible, real things that help people focus with a visual. I need visuals, don't y'all? It helps us focus. And as we reflect on what Jesus did for us in this very, very important season, I'm grateful for those people. And as I think about that, y'all are helping Lay a legacy for yourself. And I think a God-centered legacy that years from now, people will remember the tomb. They'll remember those crosses, and they'll remember those folks that helped get that started. And I think that's very important. Well, one of the things I like to do every Easter Sunday, every Resurrection Sunday, is to read all four gospel accounts of the resurrection. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote uh, about the resurrection. You know, some things are not in all four gospels, but... 
Absolutely, the resurrection is in all four Gospels. So I'm going to read those this morning, starting with Matthew, um, and then Luke, and then John. And I'm going to wait to read Mark last, because as you all know, we've been going through the book of Mark really since January in our sermon series. So listen, and it'll be on the screen, and you can follow along in your Bibles or on your phones as well on your Bible apps. Matthew writes in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you in Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And then in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners and be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like to them nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And then in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 through 9, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So you see those three Gospels, and I'm going to read Mark in, in just a minute here. But as we read those, they don't all match up exactly, do they? 
And there's a reason for that. And, and we know that if they wanted to make it all match up exactly right, they certainly could have done that, couldn't they? But they didn't. It was different. Like if we watched an accident out here after church today, we would all have seen the same accident. But if you pulled people aside and said, hey, tell me what happened, we would all have a different part of that accident that we saw and certain things that we remembered clearly that maybe somebody else wouldn't, but we all saw the same acts. But what we do know is in all three of those Gospels that we read, and in the fourth one we'll match that, is Jesus wasn't in that tomb, was he? He was alive just as, as all the, whether there was two angels or one angel, just as he said. He had told them this was going to happen, and it did. And we're finishing up today this sermon series. Some of you may be glad that we've been doing this since January, Craig. But it's been called One Day or Day One, You Decide. And if you've been here, you kind of know what we've been walking through. But maybe this is your first time today. And what we've been looking at is there are things in our life that we plan to do, that we want to do. And we say, hey, one day I'm going to, but we never actually get around to starting day one of those things. And the years go by, and we just kind of say, yeah, one day, but it never becomes a reality for us. And on the other hand, there are times in our life when we get tired of saying, you know, I'm tired of saying one day I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, or I'm going to start this, or I'm going to start that. And we finally say, this is the day where I'm going to start day one of doing that what I need to do, what I should do. No more putting it off. And if you've been here over the last few months, you know that we've been reading through the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. And Mark, from the very beginning, is asking his readers and asking us, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he really Savior of the world? He starts at the very beginning of his gospel and lays out Jesus' life and all the things that he did and the things that he said. And each of those force us to say, is he the Messiah? Is he really the Savior of the world? And Mark just kind of leaves Jesus' actions for us to make that decision about answering that question. And we've read many of Jesus' Um, about how many of Jesus' first disciples, that was one of the first sermons we did, started day one when he called them. Remember, they dropped their fishing nets. Matthew walked away from his tax collector's booth. They immediately made it day one of following Jesus. And we saw those who were blind and lame and demon-possessed. After they encountered Jesus, they saw day one of a healed and transformed life, and they could never be the same again. But there were others who were reluctant and said, well, maybe one day I'll follow Jesus. I think about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and Jesus says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, then come follow me. And he walked away sad because he had much wealth. And he said, maybe one day, but he walked away. And then we also read through Mark, we saw the religious leaders who from day one of encountering Jesus rejected him, rejected him as the Messiah, as the Savior. And they plotted to one day kill Jesus. And they would eventually succeed in that. We know that. But that was all a part of God's plan, wasn't it? They thought they were succeeding in evil and controlling what was going on in the world, but they were playing right into God's plan all along. That was God's plan for Jesus to die. So today we'll read what happened according to Mark On the third day, I want to read you that. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And this is what Mark records. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. 
Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now this is how Jane, I mean this is how Mark ends his account right there. Now, most of you, if you have your Bibles or your Bible, I go, no, Craig, I have verses 9 through 20 in mind. But if you look at the footnote in your Bible, as probably most of you have, verses 9 through 20, we find out that the earliest manuscripts didn't have that. Apparently, somebody didn't like that ending that Mark wrote. That wasn't enough. And so they decided they were going to write something else on there. And they found out later when they found the earliest manuscripts that that wasn't in the original. And so you think about it, you go, Mark, that's it? That's how you left your gospel? I mean, some of us go, yeah, we needed something else. Have you ever watched a movie like that where they just leave it hanging? And you go, no, no, who wrote this? Who, did, who directed this? You can't leave it like that. And so people thought that about Mark. That's it, Mark? The women saw Jesus' empty tomb. They heard a young man in white who was probably an angel tell them that Jesus was risen and they were to go tell his disciples and then they could see him all in Galilee. And you end your account with this, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's how you left it, Mark? They were just trembling and afraid? They didn't say anything? Matthew tells us more, Mark. Luke tells us more, Mark. John certainly tells us more, Mark, but Mark tells us less. Mark is the shortest gospel. This goes right along with Mark's account to the very end, challenging his readers and us to say, is he really the Messiah? Is he really the Savior? After all that Mark has reported about Jesus, all the healings, the casting out of evil spirits, the feeding of, of thousands of people with a little boy's lunch, the calming of the waves and the wind, the raising of Lazarus and, uh, and, and others from the dead. And the tomb is now empty, just as he told you. And Mark doesn't leave us hanging, y'all. Mark actually is not letting us off the hook in answering the question about who Jesus really is. If you went to the tomb that day and you saw the empty tomb and you heard that angel say to you, he's not here, he has risen, just as he told you, you would have to make a decision. Yeah, he really is the Messiah. And if you had experienced all that Jesus had done, all the healings, all the teachings, saw him walk on water, saw him raise Lazarus, you would know, of course, he's the Messiah. And of course, he's not in that grave because he said he wouldn't be. And he has followed through with what he said, just like he has every single time. He's been faithful. The empty tomb answers that question for us with an exclamation point. Whether Mark tells us what happened, we know what happens. And I want to tell you this morning, I personally believe that Jesus was not in the tomb 
that morning. I personally believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I believe he died physically on that cross. And I believe he was buried dead and put in that tomb. And I believe that he came out of that tomb alive. I really personally believe that. I don't just say that because that's what I get paid to do. I really believe that. And the reason I believe that is that people that loved me growing up were good enough to share the gospel message with me, the good news of Jesus. And I got to read that as a little boy. And as a young man, I got to ponder that. And as an older man, I got to ponder that. People that I trusted and respected in my life have believed that. And their life showed that they didn't just say that. They really believed that. It transformed their life, and they lived differently. But at some point in my life, I had to decide what I read in this thing called the Bible. Was that real? Was that accurate? I had to decide whether the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was the truth or wasn't it. And I needed to make a real decision to accept that and embrace that truth in my life. And that's true for every one of us, isn't it? We have to make a decision about that empty tomb. And today, maybe you're here listening, or maybe you're at home and you're listening to us online, and still maybe you're avoiding Mark's question about Jesus. You're kicking the can down the road. Oh, I, I need some more information. You know what? I would say if you still need more information, it is out there. You can find the truth if you really want to find the truth. It's out there. You go on the internet. Yeah, there's people who will tell you it's not true. But there's so much information in our culture and our age that we can really find out the truth and the evidence behind what happened that day. And you need to know that. And let me tell you something. Your eternal de destiny depends on your answer to that. Oh, Craig, you're just being dramatic because it's Easter Sunday and you need people to join the church. Well, you can believe that if you want to. But the reality is Jesus made it very clear that our eternal destiny depends on what we do with him, him crucified, and him risen. He said that God loved us so much, all of us, all of mankind, all of humanity through all of history, that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him would not perish. That means die separated from God forever, or we could believe in him and have everlasting God be with him forever. And so what we do with Mark's question depends on where we will be in the afterlife. And we all wonder about it. We all put our head on the pillow at night and we stare up at the ceiling, and at some point we think about, where am I going to be when I die? And this day can make that obvious for you. It can secure that for you and your belief. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made an exclusive claim because he was the exclusive Savior of the world. He was and he is the only way to the Father. And if that's not true, folks, what do you have to put your hope in? What do you really have to put your hope in in this life? Hope that you did, a good, good, did enough good things to get there. We know that that is never going to happen. If we could do enough good things to get to heaven, Jesus never needed to come, did he? But he needed to come because I need a Savior. You need a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. We're not just going to take an eternal nap when we die. We're going to end up somewhere after our death. 
And if that happened, if Jesus really went into the tomb dead and came out alive, what does that mean for you and me? And we need to decide that. We need to know that. I want to go back to one of the other Gospels, Matthew's Gospel. And I want to read from chapter 27, verses 62 through 64. And right after Jesus died, this is fascinating to me. Matthew records this. It says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. And you know Pilate's the one, the Roman, who eventually gave in and said, We're going to crucify Jesus. Sir, they said, We remember that while he was still alive, Jesus, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. Now listen to this. That la this last deception will be worse than the first. This last deception will be worse than the first. Basically, if that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Do you realize what's happening here? These religious leaders, these are the religious leaders who were supposed to be showing God to the rest of the people. They have not only made sure that Jesus was dead, but even in his death, even after they've been a part of having Jesus killed, they're still afraid and trying to control things. Why? Why? It's interesting. They remember Jesus said on the third day, I will rise again. The disciples were having a hard time remembering that. But these guys remembered it distinctly. And even with Jesus dead, they were still trying to manipulate and control things and control people as if they could do that. But they were. If that happens, we will be worse off than we were at first. At first. Because see, at first... They denied that Jesus was the Messiah, didn't they? They denied that he was the Savior of the world. He was not the Son of God. We happen to know what the Son of God is, and it's not you. He wouldn't be born in a manger. He wouldn't live kind of a, a, an elusive life for 30 years and then start his ministry and then be a poor carpenter that walks around picking out disciples that are certainly not of the higher echelon like us. He can't possibly be the Savior. But they were wrong. First they denied that Jesus was the Son of God. And now they're denying Jesus' resurrection even before it happens. But it happened. And they were wrong about Jesus' disciples stealing the body, weren't they? They were wrong about that. But they were right that they were worse off than they were now than they were at first. Because they still refused to believe. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope. Jesus' resurrection gave those early disciples hope. And when I say hope, we're not talking about, I hope the Braves can win today and split the series with the Padres. I hope that happens. That's kind of how when we say I hope. I hope there's a good meal waiting for me when I get out of this service today. The Greek tells us that that hope is profound certainty. Profound certainty. There's no doubt that hope is being sure of what I hope for and certain of what I do not see, as the Hebrew writer tells us. And that hope we know would empower, empower those disciples to never go back to the old covenant of hypocritical religion and law and rule keeping ever again. Because it didn't work, did it? The old covenant did not work. 
We can never keep the law. Even though the religious leaders tried to pretend they could and point out how everybody else couldn't, they couldn't keep it either. That's why we needed a new covenant. And that's why Jesus had to come. And Jesus would be even more powerful in his resurrection because of his followers. And isn't it interesting, the religious leaders, the very thing they were worried about actually happened and they still didn't believe it. Why? This new covenant would be in Jesus. A personal relationship with Jesus going forward. It would be about accepting that amazing grace of Jesus and sharing that transforming grace with the world. And share it they did. Do you realize that all of the disciples, maybe John, and he died in prison, were all martyrs for what they believed? Why would you die for a deliberate lie? Because it wasn't a lie, it was the truth. And they went to their grave believing that and sharing that. And you see, they believed day one Jesus was the Messiah. And they put their faith day one in Jesus. And when he rose again, despite their doubts and fears... And guess what? I want you to hear loud and clear today. It's okay to have doubts and fears because we all do, right? I do. But it's not okay to continue to just let those doubts and fears lay there. Find out what the truth is and allow the truth to set you free. And that's what those early disciples did. They were better off than they were before. And what did they have to fear now after Jesus had defeated death were they scared of the religious leaders anymore because they would come after them were they scared of rome anymore because they would come after them but they weren't afraid anymore they were better off than they were before their biggest fear was our biggest fear and that's death right that's what we are almost afraid of and jesus defeated that for them jesus has overcome that and they could too so this morning i ask all of us How will you leave the empty tomb this morning? Some of you have sat through decades of sermons on Easter Sunday, but how will you leave today walking away from that empty tomb? Empty, bewildered, fearful, doubtful, in denial that Jesus is Messiah and the risen Savior. Don't be like the religious leaders and be worse off than you were before. Know what you believe. Make this day one. Day one of humbly submitting your life and faith to Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. He died and rose to give you a transformed life, not only for eternity, but here and now. Now, a transformed life does not mean it's perfect, does it? Because we know those disciples did not live a a perfect, carefree life. They had a lot of troubles. But what they were a part of Because of what they were a part of, we're sitting here today. Do y'all realize that? The church was started because of their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ resurrected. So we're going to give the opportunity for you to respond to the empty cross and the empty grave this morning. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to do that. I know at least one who is coming today, and I'm very excited about that. And this morning, it gives all of us the opportunity... To recognize Jesus' death and his resurrection can transform us. And we will also have part of the service this morning, as we already have, is to remember Jesus' death. That was important for us to take communion together and remember those six long hours that he hung on that cross. But he hung on that cross and he was buried and we know he rose again. He rose again so that we could be restored to God, our Father, forever.
And so this morning, maybe there's somebody that needs to make that first step. And stop saying one day, one day I'll see if that's really the truth. No, but day one, I need to name Jesus as my Lord and Savior.